A couple summers ago, I was fishing on the dock of a large pond with my two older boys, Bray and Keller, when an old order Amish man and his two sons came up right beside us and started fishing. And after some friendly talk and after our boys went off to play, the, the man and I began to converse a bit more deeply about our lives and our jobs. I can only imagine what any passersby might have thought as they see me. I have a couple tattoos and, and in an old order Amish man. I do it. What are these two dudes doing together fishing and, and talking? Um, as time went on, uh, the man and I got to dive a bit into theology. I love that. And methodology. We talked about the Christian life. And as he and I were packing up our things uh, to leave, he asked me a question. Uh, and the question, I, I think he had already gauged the answer to. He said, Chris, is Christ Jesus the king of your life? I said, yeah, he is king. I, my, my life doesn't often reflect it, unfortunately, but Christ is the king of my heart and of my life. And as we said our goodbyes and shook our hands, he said, Chris, you and I have nearly nothing in common. But if Christ is your king, you are my brother. And it was an honor to fish by your side today. When the, when the, how many fish? I don't even think I caught anything. <laughs> the bond of Christ proves stronger than many, many, many disagreements. In our very short passage this morning, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul is about to urge a similar gospel unity between two Philippian women whose disagreement has led them and the congregation into disunity. And so having just charged the Philippians to stand firm, verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul now apparently uh, gives them, or not apparently, he appropriately gives the Philippians and us, the key to the treasure trove that is Christian unity despite the countless disagreements and differences and disputes that perpetually threatens our unity. If you've not yet had um, a disagreement here uh, within Oaks Church with me or someone else, just wait. <laughs> it's, it's coming. Uh, but beware, let's beware, disunity lurks behind every disagreement. So as we prepare to listen to read just two verses this morning, let's listen attentively. Let's practice earnestly what God's word tells us today for his glory and our joy. I'd invite you to follow along once again, two verses, two divinely inspired verses, Philippians chapter four, verses two and three. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement 
and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father, this is your word, and we submit to it. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you might teach us, convict us, encourage us, conform us into more of the likeness of Christ for your glory and for our our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, are squabbling about something. Uh, We're not told exactly what, but the squabble between them, just like all squabbles within the church, well, it's affecting the whole church, whether they realize it or not. And this is why Paul, in this letter that would end up being read out loud in front of the entire Philippian church, this is why he addresses these women by name here. Can you imagine Right? Like, okay, well, good morning, Oaks Church. As we continue in our worship, would Susan Grassy and Tony Schmidt already agree in the Lord finally? Okay, let's sing. Right? What? Like, what? Now, we can and should be, like, it's fine to laugh a bit at this, but, but, but all humor aside, okay, Paul's critically important charge to agree in the Lord is the, the fulcrum. It is the center point of these two verses, verses. And we need to lean into it. Agree in the Lord. But it begs two questions. What on earth does it mean to agree in the Lord? And equally important, what does it not mean? And so those are the two questions we'll Address for the remainder of our time. I have two points in my outline, and you guessed which two they are. Let's first consider, though, what agreeing in the Lord doesn't mean. Firstly, it doesn't mean that we are supposed to ignore one another's sin in the name of just getting along. There is no hint that either of these women is walking headlong in unrepentant sin. If they were, we know Paul well enough to know he would not hesitate to call them out. Agreeing in the Lord does not mean that we are to ignore our brother's pattern of anger or dishonesty or greed. It doesn't mean that we are to merely overlook our sister's pattern of gossip or bitterness or envy because when we sweep patterns of sin under the rug, we're actually sabotaging the meaning and the joy of agreeing in the Lord. Secondly, Agreeing in the Lord doesn't mean that we are to persist in an abusive relationship. There is no physical, emotional, or spiritual abuse occurring here between Euodia and Syntyche. If there were, Paul's charge would be taking a drastically different shape. I wish I didn't even have to highlight this, but many 
well-intending yet mistaken believers have urged abuse victims to remain in abusive relationships in the name of agreeing in the Lord. No. No. That's not in view here. If you or someone you know is truly being abused by someone else, hear this. You are a fearfully and wonderfully made bearer of God's own image. And remaining in a truly abusive situation is not okay. Pastor Seth and I are here to help you. Thirdly, agreeing in the Lord doesn't mean that we are to toss our biblically informed, deeply held theological convictions straight up to the wind. Now, there are a lot of places that I could go with this, but let's start with something that's maybe obvious, hopefully obvious. Oaks Church will never participate in a joint worship service with a Mormon church or a Unitarian church the list could actually go on because we straight up don't agree in the Lord. We must understand that before we can come to agreement with others in the Lord, we must first come to agreement with the Lord himself. That is, we must understand and submit ourselves to what he says about himself and about us in his word. And to safeguard Christians from understandable confusion on this, the church has historically organized its Christian beliefs into two categories based upon their given context in God's word. The two categories, we might say, are this, open-handed beliefs and closed-handed beliefs. Open-handed beliefs are not unimportant. They're simply not essential for our inclusion into God's kingdom. And so open-handed beliefs might include the miraculous spiritual gifts. Do or don't the gifts of tongues and healing still function within the church? And what does that look like? It's kind of open-handed. I don't really know. Another open-handed belief might include the end times. Will Jesus return before, during, or after the reign of the Antichrist? I don't know. I have my thoughts. And it's an important thing to dive into the word about. But it's an open-handed issue. How about the wise stewardship of church funds? Do you... Put this much in savings and this much goes out? Do you put this much in? What, what, what we oh, we got to talk through these things. Nonetheless, open-handed. As important as these beliefs are, they, these beliefs that I've just mentioned and, and given example, they are important. But they are not essential to yours and my salvation, which means that we can and should be able to charitably uh, uh, disagree with one another, with those who hold differing convictions from our own. And we should be able to humbly and charitably share a cup of coffee. We should 
dive into, well, let's open the word and tell me where you're coming from on that particular doctrine or that particular conviction that you have. And let me see it in, in God's word. That's our plumb line for truth. So let's go back to God's word. So those are open-handed beliefs. But the same cannot be said of closed-handed beliefs because closed-handed beliefs are essential to our salvation because they pertain directly to a right knowing of God and a right knowing of ourselves. For instance, the doctrine of the triune nature of God. We've got to be ready to die on that hill. The doctrine of the fall of man. Y'all, we're sinners. The doctrine of the inspiration and the authority of Scripture. Scripture is God's word. Agreeing in the Lord does not mean that we are to toss out all of our salvifically important biblical convictions. Paul would never advise that. So, begs the question, what does agreeing in the Lord mean? Number two, point number two, what agreeing in the Lord does mean. And certainly we're not going to plumb the depths. We're not going to be able to tap this subject out. But in verse three, we learn that Yoria and Syntyche are not only gospel believers, they are gospel laborers. Uh, that is, they have devoted their lives to showing and telling of God's amazing forgiveness and the eternal life that he pours out upon sinners through simple, repentant faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Messiah. Iodia and Syntyche both believe with their hearts that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they both confess with their lips that Jesus Christ is risen and returning. And they have both labored significantly and steadfastly to this end. Shoulder to shoulder. Together. And then with a bunch of people that Paul names. You know, with Paul himself. And then with a person whom Paul addresses as true companion. We don't know who that true companion is, but Paul is calling upon this true companion to help these women agree in the Lord. Paul also mentions a dude named Clement. No idea, but there's Clement. And then a whole host of other believers whose names are in the book of life, man. I love that. In ancient Jewish literature, the phrase, the book of life, is frequently used in an honoring way to describe the catalog of God's people who have remained faithful through conflict and persecution. Yordi and Syntyche have, have seen some, some trouble. Here's what we should take from from the whole of verse 3, Euodia and Syntyche, they're, they're the real deal. They really are. They are tested and tried gospel believers. And they are faithful, fruitful gospel partners and laborers. And so Paul entreats them. And notice, this isn't really even a significant point of mine, but notice how Paul entreats the both of them individually. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche 
And in the Greek, that's a really clumsy sentence. I don't know how to read it. I'm just reading other authors who know how to read it. Um, it's a really clumsy sentence in the Greek. But Paul is making a point. While the church is, you know, playing, playing sides in this disunity sort of thing, Paul's like, you know what? I don't have a horse in the race. You agree, and you agree in the Lord. I love that. He entreats them. He urges them, agree in the Lord. That is, with all that he has listed in verse 3, all the people they have labored with, their steadfastness, their faithfulness, he is urging them to remember the Mount Everest of commonality that they share. They are both, Euodia and Syntyche, they are both great sinners who in and of themselves were walking in separation from God. But for both of them, their greatest need has been met in God the Son, the great Savior of the world in his living, dying, and rising. There's a lot in common here. Paul is not expecting Yodia and Syntyche, nor are we expected to force agreement on every issue. It won't happen. I wish you all agreed with me on everything. That would make this a lot easier. But that isn't going to happen, and that's quite all right. And in fact, it's to my joy that it doesn't happen that way. It really is. Paul is not expecting us to force an agreement upon every issue. He's reminding Euodia and Syntyche and us of the agreement we already have on the issue. The gospel. We make a big deal about it. We try to make a big deal about it every week and then throughout the week, the gospel, the gospel. It's the same gospel that compelled, go back to my initial illustration, fishing on the bank of a pond. It is the gospel that compelled that old order Amish man to look at me so different and yet regard me as a brother. Now, as we have taken some time in this passage, as we've read through, as I've shared with you some things, has someone come to your mind by chance? The Spirit tends to work this way. Has someone come to mind with whom you are in disunity and taking the way that Paul is urging Euodia and Syntyche toward unity by agreeing, letting the main thing be the main thing. The Son, God the Son, came, lived, died, and rose, taking my shame and guilt on the cross, being buried in a tomb that I deserve, and raising to life to bring us together to him. That is keeping the main things the main things. But remembering this is often difficult. I get caught up in the details and the, the stuff of life and the stuff of relationships. But I'm going to say this. It takes a grit. It takes guts. And it takes grace for us to sense, you know, there is... There's, a, there's an, an amount of disunity that I feel in this particular relationship. 
And it takes the grit and guts and grace to sit down, to, to call that, I'm going to use brother, to call that brother, hey, can we sit down for just a couple minutes, brother? And let me share with you something. I know I am so often wrong, <laughs> probably more often than I'm right. And I know I might even be wrong right now, but I simply need to get off my chest something. Look, there was a comment that you made a couple weeks back that it, 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 it hurt my feelings, man. Or there was a look that you gave me or a post on social media. Or, or it could be that, brother, I've heard you spouting this, this particular theology. I'm just not sure about it. And it gets my, my spidey senses all up. Every time I hear you talking about it, can we just sit down and address this but brother look I know I know that Christ is the king of your life like that Amish man asked me and he's my king too so can we please be unified in our agreement on him we don't have to be best friends <laughs> praise God <laughs> nowhere in this text is, are we being called to be best friends but can we agree in the Lord? Can we agree in Him? And it would be an honor if you and I would fish for men. Oh, did you see what I did there? Side by side. <laughs> that just came to me. I didn't even plan that out. Uh, this week, uh, three individuals in this church did just this. They went up to someone else in this church and they sat down. The reason I know this someone else is because it was me. <laughs> I had said things that were hurtful. I had acted in ways that were hurtful. And I had two brothers and a sister in Christ with the grit, with the guts and the grace to sit down and to say, hey, whew, imperfect zone right here. But can I simply just ask you about a comment that you made? And... I ended up having to repent and apologize. And it was beautiful. And there is a new felt fresh unity in our agreement that, man, we're all train wrecks. <laughs> but Christ, okay? And I see dimly a lot, and I'm mistaken a lot. But Christ, all right? And so we're going to keep walking one foot in front of the other by God's grace, by the power of his spirit. We're going to we're going to reach the end because, well, he's got us tethered by grace and he's pulling us that way and we're going to do it together. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is the meal that is shared by men and women in union in the Lord. So when we take the bread and the cup together, listen to this, it, as at, it is as much a proclamation of our unity in Christ as it is a proclamation of his death, which makes it possible. For fallen men and women, and I look out and all I see are fallen men and women, and that's, you know, one to, to call because it's a pot calling the kettle black. For fallen men and women such as us, our default way of life is that of finger-pointing, fault-finding, blame-shifting, and disunity. It's what we're most prone towards. Just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, after they sinned, 
by eating in the Garden of Eden what God had forbidden, God came to Adam and Eve and asked each of them, what have you done? Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and Adam blamed God. Not one time in this account in Genesis do we ever see Adam or Eve acknowledge their own fault in the matter. And in their fallen footsteps, we are so quick, I am so quick to stew on the guilt of others, and I am so slow to acknowledge my own guilt. We need to remember the gospel. It's starting to sound cliche to some of us, but we never graduate from the gospel. We need to remember how Messiah, Son of God, the second and better Adam, entered into our disunity. He lived and died in order to absorb and to absolve the self-righteous, disunited guilt we each possess. But more, in his rising and in his ascending, he has given each and every believer his spirit of power the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in each believer here. And that same power by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not that we would just know that we stand forgiven. It's that we would have the power to stand firm in unity, in agreeing in the Lord Look, there have been, there are currently, there will be a myriad of disagreements within this church. We aren't to throw all of our theological convictions to the wind. Heck no. I need to hear from you. What's your vantage point in the word? Let's sit down and talk. Tell me why you disagree. I also need to hear from you when you see sin in my life. It's not easy. Meetings like this, this week's meetings weren't easy, but they're good, man. They're good. Because Christ is good, and he's all over those difficult meetings. Will we, will we, as mature brothers and sisters in Christ, have the grit and the guts and the grace to embrace awkward conversations from time to time. Brother, sister, I need to ask you about what you just said for the sake of just peace in my own soul and so that we can carry forward in agreement in the Lord. This, this is the church that stand firm, stands firm. Amen. Let's pray together and then we'll sing together. Father, thank you for your divinely inspired word. Just two verses, and we barely scratch the surface. Your word is like you, unsearchable. We won't ever plumb the depths. Such knowledge is too high, I cannot attain it, David prays. But Lord, what you have enabled us to see this morning as simple as it is, is not always easy. And yet we often find 
this paradoxical truth in following Christ, what isn't always easy is almost always good. Help us to lean into it. Give us humility. Give us grit. Give us guts. Give us grace to sit down with one another as Paul is urging of Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the main things. You and who we are in light of you. According to your word, we love you and thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.